Today's Bible reading comes from John 4, 1 to 26. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as did his sons, also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. All right, so there we go. Good morning again. Uh, thanks to Abby for just doing that Bible reading that I hope you've, you've heard successfully. Um, you know, when the virus started making headlines a few kind of months ago, it was a little bit scary, wasn't it? But things have been like seriously ramped up over the past um, few weeks. You know, for a while the virus was sort of out there, um, but now, now it's really hit home and it's it started to affect lots of things that, that matter to us, lots of things that are dear to us. I mean, uh, you just you just think about all the different things that have um, become affected by the 
for the virus now. Our relationships, obviously, like it's harder to get together. I have to speak to you through my through my phone camera. Um, you know, our workplaces, our careers, our finances, our health, um, all these things that are, are normally things that we go to for joy, for fulfillment, for satisfaction. Um, all these things are suddenly under under a bit of a cloud, and that's a bit that's a bit scary, isn't it? I, I don't know how everyone's feeling at home, but um, it, it's a big thing. Um, in the, in the midst of all this, I think it's always good to um, see the funny side, and it's always good when there's some humour around it. I saw this joke during the week um, come up on social media. Um, I hope you can read it. Day two without sports. I found a young lady sitting on my couch yesterday. Uh, apparently, she's my wife. She seems nice. She seems nice. Um, you would have seen that a lot of sports have been shut down because of the virus. Even something like sport is something that a lot of us hold dear, a lot of us go to for joy and excitement. And so, all these things are threatened, um, suddenly almost taken away from us. Um, yeah, that's, a, that's a big thing. That's a scary thing. At Trinity Church Brighton, we're in the middle of uh, a series. We're looking at some of the different characters that Jesus met and interacted with when he was on the earth 2,000 years ago. Um, and we're doing that not just because we're kind of interested in 2,000-year-old history, but because um, we're trying to think about the question, what does it mean for us to meet and have an encounter and, and have a relationship with Jesus today? Because because that's what Christians say, right? We have a relationship with Jesus. So so we're thinking about that, and we're thinking about that by um, thinking about the people we did meet 2,000 years ago. It's kind of what we're um, trying to do. And, and even with everything going on and having to do church with this weird online um, sort of streaming sort of way, we still want to keep going with this series that we've been doing. Um, and this week we're looking at this story that we've um, just read, had read out, this, this woman who Jesus met at the well. Actually, given everything that's going on with the world at the moment, I think this is actually a, a really good encounter for us to reflect on because it, it challenges us to think about where do we go for satisfaction? Where do we go for satisfaction? You know, do, do we go to money? Do we go to relationships? Do we go to career, health? Um, do we go to those things for satisfaction? Um, we've been reminded lately that there can be uncertainty around those things, and Jesus wants to show us today that he offers a satisfaction that can never be threatened, that can never be taken away. Uh, so let, let's dive in. Before we think about what this means for us, let, let's go think about the Bible passage and this encounter that Jesus had with this woman. We're just going to go through it, and uh, I want us to notice four things as we go through. Um, I listened to a guy called Andrew Sachs this week. Uh, on this passage, and he pointed out that there's lots of W's in this passage. So there's a there's a woman, there's water, there's a well. Um, I, want, I want us to notice four W's, four W's. So um, today I've got a woman, a well, a wedding, which you might not have seen at first, and worship. Four, four, doubles, four W's I want us to notice. Uh, a woman, water, a wedding, and worship. <coughs> uh, let's, let's see if we can pick those up as we go through the passage. Let's Let's bring the passage up. I hope you can see the words on the screen behind me okay. Uh, if not, it'd be a great thing to have a Bible as you're watching. That might be a good thing to do too. Um, this is the beginning of the passage we looked at. Uh, let me read for us. It says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Jesus has been in Jerusalem. That's kind of in the south of Israel. And he's on his way back up. Uh, to Galilee, uh, where he's from. Uh, now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in, in Samaria called Sychar, uh, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? 
his disciples had gone to the town uh, to buy food. Sorry, I'm trying to get ahead of myself. Um, Jesus is on a journey. He's tired. It's hot. It's the middle of the day. Um, he gets to this Samaritan town. He sends his disciples off to get food. He sits down at the well for a rest. Uh, and that's where we meet the woman. The woman, the first of our, the first of our W's. Uh, now let's think about this woman that Jesus meets for a minute. There are actually a fair few things we can know about the woman, um, even from these uh, first few verses. I mean, uh, the obvious thing, obviously, is that she's a woman. Uh, and, and that seems like it's not even worth saying. But it is... It is actually significant because it wasn't normal for men and women to speak to each other in these days. So the fact that Jesus actually speaks to someone of the opposite gender is a, uh, is a big deal. Um, second, we also know that she's a Samaritan. Now, um, if you know anything about Jews and Samaritans, you'll know that they don't particularly get along very well. Samaritans were sort of seen as a second-class citizens almost by, by Jews. And, and the history of that goes back to the Old Testament. Um, Israel, at one time, it was one nation under kings like David and Solomon. Uh, but then at about 930 BC, Israel split into two. Um, you had a northern kingdom, you had a southern kingdom. Uh, and both kingdoms are unfaithful to God in different ways. Um, but as we go through, there's sort of a sense where God chooses the southern kingdom as the one he's going to stick by. He's going to keep his promises through through them. And so the southern kingdom, the, the Jews, they, they go on being God's chosen people, even though they, they do go to exile and come back. Whereas the northern kingdom... The northern kingdom eventually gets taken over and they, they sort of mix with the Assyrian people, the Assyrian Empire that takes over them and they sort of become these almost half-Israelites kind of, uh, it's kind of bred out. And so they're the ones that are not real Israelites, they're the ones that God abandoned uh, and the Jews see themselves as God's special people. So, so the woman that Jesus met, she was a Samaritan, she was one of these, these people um, who was seen as, as second class uh, what else do we know about the woman? There was actually an interesting little detail. Um, just, oh, things playing up on me again. Just here, there's an interesting little detail. John tells us that this happened about noon, about the middle of the day. Um, and that's an interesting thing, because commentators tell us that the normal thing in these times was for women to go and fetch water, um, sort of at the, at the beginning of the day when it was cool, or in the cool of the evening, but not in the middle of the day. So the fact that it's the middle of the day, the woman is going out to draw water. That's, that's slightly unusual. And the, the other thing commentators tell us is that women going to the well to get the water each day, it's it sort of one of the key kind of social interactions that women would have. Um, they'd go to the water and socialise, chat with other women. Um, the, the woman in this story, she's, she's going to the water, she's going in the middle of the day. Um, evidently, she's by herself. It seems that this woman is not only one of the Samaritans, who are already sort of outcasts, but she's even an outcast of the outcasts. If that makes sense, she uh, she doesn't seem to be well liked even by the people in her own town, and and all of this gives us a picture of what the woman was like. It, it makes it realise just how significant it is that Jesus chooses chooses to speak to her, chooses chooses to speak to her, and, and it's not surprising when uh, the woman is a bit freaked out when Jesus starts up conversation. Let, let's go to verse nine. Look at what she says here. Um, the Samaritan woman said to him, uh, "You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink?" How can you ask me for a drink? But Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus is basically crossing every sort of divide in talking to this woman. He's, talk, he's crossing a, a gender line. He's crossing a moral line. He's crossing a racial line. He's crossing a social line. But, but Jesus is happy to cross all those barriers because it seems he cares about this woman. He cares about this woman. And just before we finish talking about the woman, there's, there's one more thing I, I want us to notice. This is a little bit of a diversion, but 
um, I think it's, it's worth doing. Let's, let's, I just want to zoom back a little bit um, and notice kind of where this story uh, with the woman in the well fits within the book of John. If you, if you were with us uh, at church a week ago on Sunday when we, when we met physically, or, or you might have even listened online, um, we spoke about a guy called Nicodemus. Uh, Nicodemus' story is, is a chapter earlier than this, back in, um, back in chapter 3. Uh, and what we saw with Nicodemus is uh, that it was stunning that even someone like Nicodemus, who was respectable and a good guy and a guy that everyone loved and moral and, and everything else, it was stunning that even Nicodemus needed Jesus to save him. We saw that that was a remarkable thing, that even Nicodemus needed Jesus. And, and this week we're, we're looking at the woman, and, and she's quite the opposite sort of character to Nicodemus. She's, she's not connected. She's not respectable. She's, she's an outcast. And in between these two stories uh, of Nicodemus, the, the good guy who everyone likes, and this woman who's an outcast, in between these stories sits a little section which includes a very famous verse, John 3.16. And I just want to flip us back here to... John 3.16, a verse that I'm sure many people know, that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is the sort of verse that you can go to a kind of a thousand times and read it a thousand times and still come back and notice things you haven't noticed before. Um, I want us to just particularly notice today this word right in the middle here, uh, whoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Because I think, I think the two stories that we are looking at, the one we looked at last week with Nicodemus, uh, the woman we're looking at this week, uh, they push our boundaries around that word, whoever. Do we really believe that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life? Because uh, actually for Nicodemus, it was sort of, even Nicodemus, the, the thing that was stunning was that even Nicodemus needs to believe in Jesus. Even Nicodemus is, is perishing unless... He believes in Jesus, and if he does believe, he can, he can have eternal life. So even Nicodemus needed to believe. This kind of pushes us one direction, but this woman kind of pushes our boundaries to the other extreme. Um, even this woman can have eternal life if she believes in Jesus. Whoever believes, whoever believes, the ultimate insider, the ultimate outsider, whoever believes in Jesus can have eternal life doesn't matter what end of the spectrum you're on. Let's go back to John. Let's go back to John chapter 4. We've noticed the woman. Let's, let's notice the second of our W's. Let's notice the, the water. The water. Uh, this is verse 10. Remember, um, Jesus has uh, just asked the woman for a drink. And then, and then she kind of is surprised that he's spoken to her. And look, look what Jesus says next. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. It's a pretty odd thing to say, isn't it? I mean, Jesus has just asked her for a drink. She's not sure what to do. And then he says, oh, if you knew who I was asking you, you would ask me. It's probably actually not a very good way to start a conversation with a woman. Um, but but how, does, how does the woman respond? Our next verse, verse 11. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where could you get this living water? Hang on, hang on, buddy, you know. Why would I ask you for a drink? You know, it's a deep well. You don't, you don't even have a bucket. You clearly don't have any way of getting this water. Why would I ask you? What even are you talking about? Again, if you were with us last Sunday when we talked about Nicodemus, there's a bit of Nicodemus in this. You know, Nicodemus said, you know, what, is it? What, what, do you, what do you mean, Jesus, that I have to be born again? I mean, that makes no sense. Jesus, you know, caused confusion then. He's causing confusion now. Uh, but, just, but just like with Nicodemus, Jesus clarifies what he means. If we, if we skip through to verse... 13. Jesus clarifies what he means. Um, this is what he says next. 
Uh, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. We start to see that, again, Jesus is speaking in metaphor. This is no physical drink of water Jesus is talking about. This water represents something. It, it represents life. It represents life. We kind of lose the metaphor a little bit in our um, modern world. We, we can so easily get water just out of the tap. My kitchen's just up here, and uh, you know, I know I could go and turn the tap on and get clean drinking water just like that. And even with the supermarket shortages and everything that's going on at the moment, you know, we still have easy access to things like water straight from our taps. Uh, in, in the time of Jesus, particularly in the dry Middle East, water was, water was life. So this, this town where the woman lives was probably only built there because there was a spring right nearby. And water means that life can exist, right? If you've got water, you can have life. So uh, it's life that Jesus is offering. It's another metaphor. So the woman, the water, thirdly, thirdly, let's notice what I've called the wedding. Now this one, this one might be a little bit more subtle, but um, there's a lot of imagery in our passage today, a lot of imagery that points us to sort of romantic marriage sort of, sort of ideas. And let me, like, let me explain what I mean by this. Um, first of all, this whole section of John's gospel has a lot of wedding imagery. So if you know John's gospel back in chapter two, um, Jesus goes to a wedding, it's in Cana. Uh, the wedding's been badly organised, and so they've run out of wine, and Jesus solves the issue by turning water into wine. Um, great, sto- great story. Um, and, and traditionally, actually, the, the role of providing the wine at the wedding was the role of the bridegroom. So, so in that story, in, in some ways, Jesus is taking on the role of the bridegroom at that wedding, in some ways. That's some of the imagery there. And then in John 3, that's actually said explicitly. John the Baptist then describes Jesus as a bridegroom. So you see, we're starting to build a bit of a picture here. And in this passage, you know, there's obviously this scene with the well. Um, and if you know your Old Testament, and obviously John's original readers would have been familiar with the Old Testament, um, you might be able to think of a few times where there are different scenes with wells. And virtually all those scenes with wells are connected to something romantic. So back in Genesis 24, you might know this story. Abraham wants to get a wife for his son Isaac, and he sends his servant out. And his servant meets Rebecca, who becomes Isaac's wife, and he meets her at the well. And then in, in Genesis 29, Isaac's son Jacob also meets his future wife, Rachel, at a well. And by the way, this is called Jacob's well, remember? So it, it may well be that this is the exact same well where Jacob met his wife in Genesis 29. And then later on, Moses also meets his wife at a well. Uh, so it's quite, a, it's quite a clear theme. You also have things later on in the Old Testament, like Proverbs, I think, describes um, faithfulness in marriage, like drinking from your own well or drinking from your own cistern. Uh, kind of talks in that sort of language. Uh, Solomon in Song of Songs describes his bride as a stream of living water. So you can see, actually, the imagery is quite clear. Kind of wells and marriage sort of, at least in the Bible, are meant to go together. I, I, I don't know. I, I doubt this is the case, but I wonder if even, you know, we have wishing wells at weddings these days. I wonder if there's something in that imagery that it, it somehow goes back to um, how the Bible connects wells and, and marriage for some reason. The thing is, I think it's quite clear that John 4 is meant to make us think of marriage and, and husband and wife relationships. I think it's meant to think of that sort of uh, imagery. And this is, this is not actually that surprising. Uh, and quite consistently, the Bible uses marriage as a way to talk about the relationship that Jesus has with his people, with the church. I'm not suggesting there's actually something literally romantic going on between Jesus and this woman. Um, but certainly I think 
you know, we said for the we said that the water is is a metaphor that points to life. I think the marriage imagery through this passage is also a metaphor that points to the relationship that Jesus has with his people, the church. Um, but there is there is something, of course, about this that is shocking. Because what is shocking is that for this beautiful picture of Christ and his his bride, the church, this this amazing beautiful picture about marriage. What is shocking is that it's this woman. It's this woman. What is shocking is that for this beautiful picture, John, Jesus, whoever whoever made the decision to speak about this woman, what is shocking is that it's it's her. It's her that's used to describe this picture. And that's especially that's especially the case when we notice what comes next. Um, verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She's still thinking about physical water, obviously. And he told her, go go, go call your husband and go back. Come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. And the fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. So this woman has, has five husbands, has had five husbands. And now she's living with her boyfriend then. And she's the one chosen for this passage about the beautiful relationship between Christ and his church. That is quite shocking, surprising. But but remember John 3.16. Whoever, whoever, even, even a woman like this, if she believes, can be one of Jesus' people and participate in the great marriage between Christ and his church. A woman, water, a wedding, worship, worship. What happens next in this kind of bizarre interaction between the woman and Jesus is, is you know, it's still quite bizarre. It goes on being bizarre. Jesus has just told the woman about her five husbands. And look at what the woman decides that um, she'll say. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. The woman that was has worked out obviously that Jesus is an impressive character. He's got some sort of supernatural knowledge, uh, and so she asked this this question. Uh, it's kind of interesting. Why does she ask this question? It maybe sort of feels like she just changes the subject to get away from talking about the awkwardness of her past relationships. But uh, it's a good question. But is it just a distraction? I don't think it actually is just a distraction because I think actually this question about worship. I think actually worship is now the key that brings all of what we've been talking about together. Let me, let, me, let me give you a quote. This is a quote from someone called uh, David Foster Wallace. David Foster Wallace. He's not a Christian. He's an author. Uh, uh, listen to what he said. He, he talks about worship, which I, I just want to think about for a little bit. This is what um, Foster Wallace says. Uh, here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshipping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for uh, maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much everything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are, they are where you, you find real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel like you have enough. It, it's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and you will always feel ugly. And when the time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. On one level, we know this stuff already. What, what the woman realises, I think, after she's spoken to Jesus, that she, she has been worshipping, but, but what has she been worshipping? 
I wonder if she's been worshipping relationships with her five husbands. Certainly something other than God I think she's been worshipping. Certainly something other than Jesus. And so I think it's worship that then connects all these different things that we're talking about. The, the woman, water, the wedding, the worship. The woman, she needs the living water that Jesus offers. She needs the relationship with Jesus, the one that marriage points to. Jesus brings up her five husbands. And, and why does Jesus bring up her five husbands, do you think, in this interaction? I think because he's prodding her, nudging her to understand why she needs the living water. To understand why she needs the living water, she needs to understand that she's been looking for satisfaction in the wrong places. Worshipping relations, perhaps, relationships, perhaps. Like, like Foster Wallace says, worshipping the wrong things eats you alive. So rather than worshipping other things, she needs to look to Jesus. She needs to worship him and receive the living water that he offers. Woman, water, wedding, worship. Shall we now, now that we've, we've thought about the passage, shall we now... Um, take a few more minutes to think about what this means for us. The woman, she's met Jesus. She's heard how desperately she needs a relationship with Jesus. But, but what about us? What can we learn about what it means when we talk about having a relationship with Jesus today, 2,000 years later? Um, let, me, let me give you quick, three quick things. I've put them up here. Um, number one, a relationship with Jesus satisfies. Number two, a relationship with Jesus is for whoever. And number three, waiting for the wedding. Um, so, so first thing, a relationship with Jesus satisfies. Uh, remember at the start, I, I talked about um, uh, how all the things one of the things coronavirus is doing is it's starting to affect all the different things that are important to us. So it's affecting our relationships, it's affecting our, it's affecting our careers, it's affecting sport even, it's affecting our livelihoods. Um, coronavirus, I wonder, is, it's, perhaps a, it's perhaps a tough reminder that all those things, all those things that are good things, by the way, but, but lots of them are temporal the things that we have for a time, but eventually they can be taken away from us. Whatever it is, sport, career, livelihood. If you're one of our older members, um, it's easier, I think, probably to understand this. Some of our youth and young adults and younger people can feel like everything you have that you will have it forever. Um, but deep down, we know that's not the case, don't we? The water that Jesus offers, however, what, is, what does Jesus say about the water that he offers? He says, Whoever drinks this water that I give them will never thirst. The water I give them will become a spring of water in them, a well welling up to eternal life. So, worship Jesus. Worship Jesus. If you worship Jesus, it doesn't eat you alive. You receive a satisfaction that lasts because he gives you a life that lasts forever, a well welling up to eternal life. You know, I don't, I don't know if I'm the only one that finds this. I expect this is probably just a universal truth. That, uh, let me know in the little, I think the online thing has a little web chat. Let me know in the web chat what you think. Um, normally I find water a fairly boring drink. Water, okay? You know, water doesn't have a, a strong taste. You know, it's good, sure. You know, it's satisfying, sure. But it's also, you know, unremarkable. It's just water. Um, but every now and then, quite rarely, you know, maybe I've been exercising or something. Or not that me, not that me exercising is necessarily that rare. I mean, I certainly probably should do it a little bit more than I do. But, but every now and then... I, I get into one of those situations where I'm just really, really being thirsty. Really, really thirsty. I have that sort of parched feeling in my throat. I expect, I expect you know that feeling. And for some reason, when I'm that thirsty, when I, I have that parched sort of feeling, when I get that drink of cool, fresh water, it just, 
it almost, it's almost like the water has transformed and takes on this different flavor. It suddenly tastes sweet. It suddenly tastes satisfying. And when I, when I have that really thirsty feeling, you know, there is no substitute for water. No other drink in the world will quench just as well as water does in those situations. I, I don't know if that's just a normal thing that everyone experiences. Let, let me know. I really like to find out or if that's just something that, that I find. But um, One thing I want us to remember today is that Jesus is the satisfying water. A relationship with him, worshipping him, is like that amazing, satisfying taste. And the thing is, when you taste that water after having a parched throat, you know, you're really thirsty, you can't just have a sip, can you? I mean, that would be ridiculous. You know, you're so thirsty, get get a big big glass of water and just have a little sip. No, you, you gulp and gulp and gulp. Do, this, do the same with Jesus. Do the same with Jesus. Drink and drink. Worship him more and more. Grow your relationship with him and you'll find that he quenches your thirst. He, he quenches your thirst. Um, so number one, a relationship with Jesus satisfies. Number two, a relationship with Jesus is for whoever. It's for, it's for whoever. As you think about what it means for us to have a relationship with Jesus, it's worth, it's worth asking that question about um, who can have a relationship with him? Who can have a relationship with Jesus today? Because... Because anyone can. Because anyone can. Remember John 3.16? Whoever believes. Whoever believes. So you can be as good and righteous as Nicodemus, but, but even he needed a relationship with Jesus. You can, be as, you can be as broken, immoral, as much of an outcast as this woman, and, and even she could come to Jesus if she believed. A relationship with Jesus is for whoever. So, so two, two things on this. First of all, I suspect maybe there's a good chance that some of us feel, some of us feel deep down, like maybe, like maybe you're a little bit like this this woman that we've looked at today. Can can Jesus possibly love me? I'm I'm broken. I'm not what I wish I was. I'm I'm so far from Jesus. If you feel like that, can I say to you, whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. Whoever. He He loves you. He accepts you. And yet, yes, we saw, um, like we saw with Nicodemus last week, you know, he, he wants to change you and challenge you as well, but he loves you and he accepts you as you are if you come to him for that relationship. That's the first thing to say on that. The second thing to say on this is uh, we live in troubled times at the moment, as we've been talking about. There's lots of scared people in our communities at the moment. Um, it's good for us to ask, who are the people that might feel like this woman? Who... Who are the people that might feel like the outcasts? Is it those who are feeling especially vulnerable to coronavirus? Is it those who struggle with mental illness? Is it those in LGBTI communities? Whoever believes, whoever believes, all of these people still need, they still need Jesus. And those of us who are Christians, we need to think about how we can introduce these people to Jesus. You know, Easter's coming up, um, people are people are asking big questions at the moment with the virus going around. It's, Of course, it's going to be hard to do Easter the way we normally do it, but <coughs> I wonder, you know, is, is there a way we can help those who feel like the woman at the well? Is, is there a way we can help them to meet the, the real Jesus this Easter? It's going to be creative and it's going to take care and... Um, but we should expect people to be pretty thirsty at this time, shouldn't we? People are asking big questions. Uh, so perhaps this is an opportunity. Let's, let's think about how we can introduce Jesus to these sorts of people. 
Number one, a relationship with Jesus satisfies. Number two, a relationship with Jesus is full. However, lastly, um, waiting for the wedding. Waiting for the wedding. We noticed today all the marriage imagery and the encounter that Jesus had. We said that it points us to the way Scripture describes the relationship between Jesus and his church, kind of like a marriage in some ways. When we talk about this kind of idea, it's worth, I think, going to uh, what I would call the great marriage passage, the great passage on uh, this marriage between the Christ and Christ and the church um, in the Bible. A passage comes from right near the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, Revelation 21. Um, I'll get it up on the screen. Um, what we see here is, in the great story of Jesus and his bride, the church, what we see here is the wedding scene. The wedding scene. And this is the future scene, by the way. This is what John, um, actually the same John that wrote John the book that we're looking at at the moment. This is what John recorded later in, in life, the vision that he saw. Um, look, at, look at what he writes down. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. It's almost like the church is walking down the aisle. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. The bride beautifully dressed, the people of God coming down to be, uh, the people of God coming down to be with her husband, Jesus. Uh, Jesus and God living with his people once again. Everything being put right. This is, this is the great wedding scene. This is the great wedding scene where Jesus and his people once again be together again as they as they were meant to be. Um, here's what to say about this: we're, we're we're looking forward to the wedding. We're looking forward to things being put right day, right one day. But the thing is, the wedding it hasn't it hasn't yet come. It hasn't yet come. Remember, this is a, a future scene. We're still waiting. Um, there's a couple in our church who are engaged: Kido and Jules. Um, shout out to Kido and Jules if you if you're watching. I hope you are. I think one of the first things I said to Kado after he got engaged was to tell him that engagement sucks. Sorry for being down at Kado. It probably wasn't the right time, actually, in, in uh, reflection. But the truth is, in, engagement is, is not fun. It sucks. You, you do a lot of logistical planning and you don't have any fun. You know? And of course, no one gets engaged for the sake of being engaged. You, know, you get engaged so that you can get married. And, and that means waiting. And, and that waiting can sometimes be hard. It can sometimes be annoying. Um, Here's what I want to say. As, as Christians, we have a relationship with Jesus. We have a relationship with Jesus now, but we're also, we're waiting, aren't we? We're waiting for that time when we're going to see him face to face. We're, we're waiting for that time when we'll really be with him and everything will be put right and we won't have to worry about viruses and all this stuff that's going on. But, but at the moment, we're, we're waiting. We're waiting. We, we don't see him face to face. We don't see him in the way that we one day will see him. And one thing, I don't think we say this enough in churches, it can, be, it can be hard sometimes. It can be hard to really believe that one day Jesus will return and things will be put right and we will see him properly for who he is. It's, it's hard to believe because we don't, that's still not yet our experience. We still don't see that. You know, it's a little bit like I read an interesting article about the virus this week um, talking about how people have found it hard to actually believe that um, this is actually going on in the world. You know, it's a, it's a beautiful day outside today. I, you know, I went for a walk today. Um, I look around and, you know, things look, things look good. It's hard to believe that the world is struggling at the moment. It's hard to believe it until we see it. Sometimes it can be hard with Jesus. We, we can't see him. We 
sometimes it can be hard to believe that he, he is really coming back. But what do we do? We, we look at the evidence, we look at what he did 2,000 years ago, we, we know we have a relationship with him now, and so we believe. We believe. And we look, we look forward to this, this wedding day. We look forward to this wedding day. Look to Jesus for a relationship that really satisfies. Remember that that relationship with Jesus is for whoever believes. Let's look forward to the wedding where things will finally be put right. I'm going to pray for us now. Um, I'll pray after what we've just been speaking about. And I'll pray for our world as well, um, with all the hard things that are going on at the moment. So um, if you're watching in in the lounge room, whatever you do, why don't you join me as I pray. Dear Father, we thank you that you're a great God. We thank you that uh, 2,000 years ago you met this woman at the well. Uh, We thank you that though she was an outcast, your son Jesus went to her and and spoke to her. And we thank you that Jesus wants a relationship with with everyone, with whoever believes in him. And so we worship Jesus today. We worship him knowing that he brings satisfaction. We we look forward to his return and the time where things will be put right. Uh, this morning, Father, we also just bring before you uh, this, this, all the big things that are going on in the world at the moment. We pray for those who are unwell, who have got the virus. We pray for quick healing. We pray for those in the medical healthcare industries who are dealing with this more closely than others. Uh, we pray for, pray for us all, though, Father, because we know that this affects us all in different ways. Um, for teachers, for office workers, for anyone who's facing a shortage of, of work in the near future. Um, Father, we, we pray that you would quickly bring this situation and turn it more positively. Uh, we pray that a vaccine might be found soon, a cure might be found soon, and that it might be quickly distributed and made available to those who need it. We pray that uh, this time of uh, being cut off from each other in, in some ways would quickly pass so that we can once again uh, resume a full and proper relationship with others. I pray particularly, Father, for those in our community who are afraid of this, for those who are vulnerable, for those who feel like they are perhaps outcasts uh, for any number of different reasons. Uh, we pray for your protection. We pray for your protection. God, you're a great God and we, we know that you are sovereign. We know that you're in control. We know that we can trust you. We know that even though we might be freaking out, that you are not freaking out. You you have these things in your hand. We don't know exactly what you're doing or why you're doing it, but Father, we do pray. We pray that you would bring things and put them right and that you would do it soon. And we pray as well, Father, that even in the hard things that this situation brings, that there might be opportunity, opportunity to speak to people about Jesus because we believe he is real, even though we don't see him now. We believe that he is who he said he is, and we believe that he is coming back. Father, in times like this, I ask that you grow our faith. And we pray this for the sake of Jesus, and we pray in his name. Amen.